0: Matthew chapter 27, you don't need to turn there. It's verse 35. They crucified him. The pinnacle of world's history is found in these three words. They crucified him. Mark chapter 15. Luke chapter 23. John chapter 19. All four Gospels would report it the very same way with these three simple words. They crucified him. The Gospels report the event without drama. They report it without great detail. I know that books have been written. Doctors have communicated the pain involved. Sermons have been preached, in fact, The very world was changed by this pinnacle of world's history. The Gospels simply record the most tragic event of the entire world with three simple words. They crucified him. Maybe the thought was too painful for the disciples. And even writing those three simple words, they who witnessed the crucifixion, They who would walk through the streets of the Roman world and see people crucified just at a Roman whim, they could only write those three simple words. Maybe it was a sensitivity to the people in the church. At the time that the Gospels were being written, they were being crucified. And maybe to be sensitive to the family members who had lost someone, they simply put in all four Gospels, they crucified him. Maybe there was no need because crucifixion was so well understood as the most excruciating way to die. They simply wrote, they crucified him. But the gospel writers, even though they wrote it with three simple words, they also gave us great insight as to this moment of history as the foundation of our faith for Matthew in Matthew chapter 26 verse 28 he would tell us that through the cross we have the forgiveness of sins for this is my blood Jesus would say of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission or for the forgiveness of sins Mark his entire gospel in Mark chapter 10 verse 45 would revolve around and he goes to great length to express that the that his death Paid our ransom. And Mark 10:45, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for you and for me. We were deserving of the death that would separate us from God for an eternity. Luke, Luke was sure to emphasize his innocence and our guilt. It's Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43. Would you take a look? Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, we're guilty. We receive the due rewards of our deeds, representing all of humanity, he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. These two thieves on the cross express the truth of all of humanity. We are guilty. He was innocent. He was the unblemished Passover lamb of God, John. In John chapter 10, verse 11, John wanted us to know that Jesus freely laid down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd gives his life For the sheep. Now, I need you to know something. Jesus laid down his life. Pontius Pilate did not take it from him. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, the Bible would say, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. He trusted God the Father that he would be raised from the dead. We're about to celebrate this coming Sunday morning. But the truth of the matter is, there on the cross... Exactly at the ninth hour when the Passover lamb would be sacrificed in the temple, the Bible says that Jesus gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. No one took his life for him. Right at the time that the Passover lamb would be sacrificed, he as the lamb of God would give up his life for you and for me. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 46, in John chapter 19 verse 30, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lie by Sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he took the sins of the world on his shoulders, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it's finished, and bowing up his head, he gave up his spirit. The gospel writers were faithful to show us that the cross is the foundation of our faith. You see, we call this day Good Friday because these three words, they crucified him, put on display the goodness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul, who was saved by the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He revolved his entire ministry around simply preaching the cross of Christ. Would you take a look at 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin at the end of verse 31. That as it is written, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 31, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Chapter 2. And I, brethren... When I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined, and this is my life's verse, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and a power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul believed in the power of the cross. He believed in the power of the message because the power of the message saved him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant, with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. Put your own name there, of whom I am chief. However... For this reason, I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Now to the king, he just is so amazed by the fact that Christ died for him, he shouts out a word of praise. Now to him, the king, eternal, immortal, invincible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. And if the cross saved the persecuting, murderous apostle Paul, the cross can save you. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul makes it very clear that the cross, Jesus used it to make a spectacle of the enemy. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Paul writes the church and he says, and you, You were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Did you see that? Not some. Have forgiven all trespass, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way. Having nailed it to the cross, the Bible says having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Let me tell you what Jesus did with your sin on the cross. He nailed it to the cross and he destroyed the work of the enemy in your life. You see... The cross declared to the enemy, death no longer has a sting. I have ripped your weapon away from your hand. Now I have the keys of death and Hades. And he's the only one that can offer eternal life because of the cross. The cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would go on again. In verse 21, he would say, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. It was there in that moment when he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that the sins of the world fell on Jesus Christ? So Paul would say, In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he would say, as a matter of fact and truth, it's Romans chapter 5, would you take a look with me? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He built the bridge. He left heaven and built the bridge that we could cross the chasm that only the cross could afford. And there in Romans chapter 5, going down to verse 6, for when we were still without strength, there was no way for us to get to heaven. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Now let me tell you something, Calvary Chapel, South Bay, I love you. I think you're all great. But if it comes between me and you, you better swim faster than me if a shark is coming. <laughs> but God is so unlike me. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us The reconciliation, the cross has reconciled the account and we are able to have peace with God. That's what the cross has done for us. He gave us peace when we didn't even want it. The Bible says that when we were enemies with God, you know where you came from. But Christ died for you because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever would believe in him could have everlasting life. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, so that none of us can boast You see, the truth of Scripture is Christ died. He did all of the hard work so that we wouldn't have to. The writer of Hebrews, he says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Look unto Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame and as sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus told us what the joy was. He told us why he went to the cross. He expressed to us in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, what was the joy that he chose to look at instead of looking at the cross? I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The joy is the fact Of the church. He died for you, and when he sees you, he doesn't even think of the cross. It's like a mom who gives birth and goes through the pain of birth, but as soon as she sees the child, she doesn't even think of the pain. She beholds the beauty. Now, dads are a little bit different. I looked at our firstborn son, and I thought all babies came out looking like a pamper's baby. So I said, well, <laughs> at least he's healthy. <laughs> I really did. John, John tells us that the cross is the only means by which sinners can be saved. It's First John chapter 2, verse 2. He said this, And he himself is the propitiation of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Don't tell me that God only died for some. He died for the whole world. We've got a big job to do, church. Now, I know you read that word, propitiation, and it took me all day practicing just to say it. And you need to understand what this word means. It means when John tells us that the cross is the only means by which sins can be forgiven. That's what propitiation means. It means that the requirement of God is perfection. That's the only way we could get to heaven. So Jesus lived a perfect life and then paid the price of our sins. He is the only means by which we can be forgiven. He's the propitiation of our lives. Church, this is why Isaiah wrote, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. I ask you to hold that text in your heart. Isaiah chapter 53. We'll go on and read verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord because he knew that the bru- bruising would produce precious fruit. And I get the chance today to see the fruit of the bruising of the Lord, the church. He has put him to grief, verse 10. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. In other words, he will have eternal life at the resurrection. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. When God looks at the church, he's filled with joy. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. We are evidence of Isaiah's prophecy. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. Do you realize when you were an enemy with God, It wasn't your mom alone that was praying for you. It was Jesus Christ. Jesus was praying for the transgressor. Church, we have peace with God. Sinners can be saved because of the cross. So now I have a question. Where do you stand? Where do you stand when it comes to the cross? Where do you stand when it comes to the cross? It's John chapter 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son. And to the disciple who was standing right there at the foot of the cross, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Let me read it like this. Because they were standing at the foot of the cross, from that time on, their lives completely and radically changed. Where do you stand? Are you so close to the cross that this is not just another Good Friday message to you? This is not Christ crucified for you. No, you're Mary. You're John. And there you are at the foot of the cross. And are you so close to it that you can hear him beckon you into the newness of life? You see, John and Mary, when they left the cross that day, They walked into a new life because they cherished that old rugged cross. Romans chapter 6 verse 4, Paul lets us know, we were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. God has a new life for you. Cling to the cross. God has a new way for you. Cling to the cross. God has a family for you. Cling to the cross. Where do you stand? Where do you stand when it comes to the cross? For there was another group there that day. It's Luke chapter 23, verse 47. Luke chapter 23, verse 47 The centurion, seeing what had happened, he praised God. Surely, this was a righteous man. Note the past tense. Jesus had died. This was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, believers, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. You see, there were other women besides Mary, his mother, that would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have a question. Where do you stand when it comes to the cross? Are you a spectator? Viewing from a distance You're unable to hear what he is saying because you're not that close. You're unable to experience the faith for yourself. You're just listening to the testimony of others and how their lives have been changed because of the cross. You're afraid of what the cross might mean for you, so you just keep it as a distance. Oh, you come to church, but you're not clinging to the cross. Rest assured, there is only one place to stand in regards to the cross, and it's not at a distance. Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10, He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Christ died for us so that we would stand for him. No wonder Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. I died. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he would say in chapter 6, verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There is only one place to stand when it comes to the cross. It's right at the foot of it, bowing down. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Paul knew where to stand. Paul knew where to stand. Where do you stand? Our Father, we come before you. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. And now, Lord, now is our time to make our decision. Our ushers are going to be bringing the communion elements to you. We want to serve you. And so in just a moment, they're going to be coming through those doors, and they will begin distributing the communion. I asked you a question. Where do you stand? When it comes to the cross, is Good Friday your thing? Even Ash Wednesday. Even 40 days of Lent. Is the cross your thing? You see, there were those that stood at the foot of the cross. And they heard the heartbeat of God. And they were able to walk in the newness of life. And then there were the spectators. afraid as to what the cross might have meant for them. We're about to take communion. The ushers are coming down. And today I ask a question, where do you stand when it comes to the cross? Now, communion is for believers only. Now you might say, wait a second, it's my first time here. And it's Good Friday. I mean, you can't refuse communion. You're right, I can't. But just because communion is for believers only, it doesn't exclude you. It's actually an invitation. Because if you take communion and you don't believe, you're just a spectator. You're just a, a, I'm going to do my Christian duty. I know about the cross. I've seen it. I, I understand it. Then communion's an invitation for you. It beckons you. Because the Bible says when Jesus spoke, he said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And maybe he's drawing you. You see, as you take the communion element, you're realizing, I've been a spectator. I've been standing at a distance. And today, I wanna be at the foot of the cross. I want to believe. No longer do I wanna be a Christian that, well, I simply just know there's a cross and I know that it happened and I've been to every Good Friday service. No, today I wanna cling to that old rugged cross. I wanna say like the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. So before we take communion, I want to lead you in a prayer. See, maybe you're that believer. You see, the people that stood at the distance, they believed. They believed that Jesus was the Christ. They even made their pronouncement. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. But they were afraid of the cross. And they were afraid that it would cost them their life. Today, before you take communion as a believer, you want to recommit your life, no longer as a spectator, but there at the foot. If that's you today, Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to pray. I see you guys, yeah. I see you in the back. I see the two of you, amen. I see you. Is there anyone else that would say, yes, I see you, and I see you as well. I see you, brother. Yeah, I see you. Yes, I see you. And you. Is there anyone else that would say, yeah. It's time for me to make it right with God. Amen and amen. Amen. Amen, I see you. Is there anyone else that said, yeah, it's time. Amen, Kevin. Amen. Amen. For those of you that raised your hand, we're going to allow this to be a holy moment. Would you pray with me? Jesus. I know of the cross but I've been a spectator and I want to move from the distance and I want to be right at the foot of the cross I want to hear your words and I want to live by them forgive me God I believe I declare my faith and receive you in Jesus' name. Amen. And on that night, it was the Passover meal. Jesus took the cup and took the bread if you've ever been part of a Passover meal this piece of bread is called a matzah there can be no yeast in it because yeast is a representation of sin so the Jews would have to take the yeast out of the house nothing sinful could remain Jesus would take that bread and he would break it and he would say this is my body which is broken for you The disciples had no idea what Jesus was saying. Remember, Peter had rebuked Jesus for the whole he's going to go to Jerusalem and die thing. It would only be after the resurrection that they would understand what this meant. And now 2,000 years of world history beyond the event of the resurrection, we now know that his body was broken as he took upon our sin. So church... Would you remember the Lord? Take and eat. And then he would take the cup. Now we as Gentiles, we don't understand what this cup was, but it's the third cup of the Passover. It's called the cup of redemption, where the Jews would look back and they would see how God redeemed them from slavery, and set them free. In fact, when they drink this cup, they they lean to the left because at that time when they were developing the Passover, it would express that they were now free. They would drink this cup and they would shout a praise to God, the cup of redemption. But Jesus, he would take this third cup of the Passover meal and he would say, this is the cup of the new covenant. Peter, James, and John heard that. They knew exactly as Jews what he was saying. Jeremiah had given a prophecy. It's Jeremiah chapter 31. And God would let Jeremiah know that there would be a new covenant where he would write the law of God, not on stones, but on your heart. And what Jeremiah was telling us for the very first time, we could have a relationship with the living God, with the king of the universe, with the creator of the heavens and the earth. Why, don't, why do you think that when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he said, our father, our dad, Abba. I'll never forget when I was in Israel, I was at the Sea of Galilee, and there was a four-year-old little boy and a dad there at the seashore, and a snake had been slithering in the grass, and I saw the snake, and I saw the little boy, and then all of a sudden, in Hebrew, the four-year-old boy turns to the dad, terrified when he saw the snake, oh, how I wish we would be just as afraid of the snake called the devil when he saw that snake, he turned to his dad and he said, Abba! And my heart broke. You see, when Jesus lifted this cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, he was declaring to the disciples, you can have a personal relationship with God through my blood. This is the cup of the new covenant. And as long as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Church, let's remember the Would you take a moment? And would you reflect on where you stand when it comes to the cross? Our Father, Calver Chapel South Bay we are making a statement of faith today I have been crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. We will not boast except in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we are determined not to know anything among us except Jesus Christ and him crucified.